0: Hello everyone, and welcome to Hockey Jersey Addicts, the podcast and support group for the addicted hockey jersey fan to talk twill, wool, acrylic, and polyester. Join us as we share what we've learned and uncovered about the game of hockey through collecting, restoring, customizing, and selling hockey jerseys. Around here, no jersey is too small or too big, too new or game worn, too loud or too proud we see everyone as equal and explore a diverse range of topics ongoing in the hockey community. We'll also dive into the vault with hockey history, trivia and reminisce as much as possible about the grails we've got, the thrift store finds and the watchless wants. So put on some polyester, give us a listen. And if you like what you hear and want more, make sure to subscribe and follow us on your podcast station and social media of choice at hockey Jersey addicts. And remember, You miss 100% of the jerseys you don't collect. Hey there, welcome back to another episode of Hockey Jersey Addicts. This is Dan, aka VanCanFan75. And today, we're wondering if that old jersey in the back of your closet is worth anything. Maybe worth auctioning. Because we're sitting down with a lead appraiser in Ontario, Canada with his own business, Todd Sawatsky. Todd is a huge hockey collector and has a lot of his own memorabilia, so we talked to him about his game-worn collections, but hockey jerseys and hockey jersey cards. Todd also worked at the Hockey Hall of Fame, so he shares some stories of what it's like behind the scenes. Todd's originally from Manitoba, a Jets fan, and so we'll spend some time reliving the glory days and see how he can do in our Jets-based hockey jersey trivia but before we talk Twill, I want to acknowledge that today's episode is airing on Martin Luther King Jr. Day here in the United States, and use it as an opportunity to highlight a very important day in hockey history. You see, on today's date, January 18, 1958, Willie O'Ree became the first black player in league history taking the ice with the Boston Bruins.
1: Willie O'Ree of the Boston Bruins, a native of Fredericton, New Brunswick, is the first Negro to play in the National Hockey League. It must be quite an exciting thing, isn't it, to get into an NHL game? No, it was the greatest thrill of my life, I believe. I'll always remember this day.
0: Much like Jackie Robinson, he faced abuse from players and fans. He'd get his teeth knocked out from a deliberate high stick, or when he took his own penalty, he would be subject to countless racial slurs from fans when he sat in the box. So, sure, he had to hold his own because, you know, hockey's a tough sport, but he would never really defend himself because of racial remarks. And he fought because he had to, not really because he wanted to. And he had to overcome a lot of adversity in his life to make it to the NHL, aside from his race. I don't know if many people know this, but when Willie was 19, he took a slap shot off the side of his face, and that caused him to be blind in one eye, which he kept a secret during his playing days in his career. So he was able to keep that a secret, but there was no hiding the color of his skin. And in an interview with CBS by Byron Pitts, when asked about his low point during his career, and fighting that adversity, this is what he had to say.
1: Your lowest moment? I think my lowest moment was it happened in Chicago, uh, 1961, my first trip into Chicago. Uh, we're playing against the Blackhawks. Um, um, you know, I hear I'm skating around and I hear some, you know, racial slurs, but it goes going in one end. Well, anyway, I got into a, an altercation with one of the players, a big right winger. Uh, his name was Eric Nestorenkel. big, tall. Right winger. Well, anyway, I the puck and have a shot on the net, and I go in and and um, he comes on my blind side. I can't see him. I go in around the net, and as I turn, um, he takes a stick and uh, he butt ends me in the mouth and, and splits my nose, uh, knocks my two front teeth out, splits my lip here, and my teeth fall down on the ice. And and um, he made a couple of racial remarks at me, but it wasn't the the racial remarks that set me off. He he kind of stood there and one and, and was kind of smiling like. Uh, you know what are you going to do? Well, you know I, I hit him over the head with my stick, and then all hell broke loose. We, you know, both benches emptied. Uh, we were both thrown out of the game. Uh, I had to remain in the dressing room um, the entire game. This happened about five, six minutes into the first period. Uh, Coach Milt Schmidt uh, said, "Willie says I'm, I'm, I'm fearful for your, you know, your, uh, for bodily injury on you." He says, "You've got to stay in the dressing room." Well, once they stitched me up and plugged my nose and everything, at least I wanted to come back out and sit on the bench with the team but he says no so they had two police officers outside the, outside the dressing room and I'm pacing back and forth in the in the room so I turned the lights out in the dressing room and I sat down in the dressing room in the dark and I just said to myself you don't need this Willie you could go back home you know you could play play in your hometown you, you, you if you're going to be exposed to this every game it's just, not, it's just not worth it so I sat there for about oh six minutes and then I turned the lights back on and I said no I says if I'm going to leave the league I'm going to leave it because I don't have the skills and the ability to play anymore. I'm not going to leave it because somebody is trying to, you know, run me out of the league. And I says, if I have to fight, I'm going to fight. But I'm going to, I'm going to uh, fight in, in regards to the game. I'm not, I'm not going to fight because of, of, of racial Re- remarks.
0: He wasn't the superstar in his sport Jackie Robinson was. He only scored four goals in his NHL career. But that's hardly the point here. It's the impact he made on the game and how he taught others that being black and playing hockey was an okay thing to do. You don't have to be an NHL superstar to have an impact. In 21 years of pro hockey, he scored 450 goals and has his number retired by the San Diego Gulls. And guess what? Later this year, during Black History Month, Willie O'Ree will see his number raised to the rafters in TD Garden by the Boston Bruins a fitting tribute to a man in the hockey hall of fame in the builder category fans of our show may have heard our episode where we talked about another player breaking barriers in hockey fred Sasakamous, who was the first canadian indigenous player in the nhl and inspired players like brian trottier and carrie price like fred sasaka Orie has taken up initiatives to help grow the game of hockey and increase its diversity ever since he retired. Those causes and just him being on the ice have had direct impacts on the NHL and hockey being more racially diverse. Mike Marson, who was the second black player in the NHL when he made his de- debut in 1974, said this: "I remember watching Willie Willie O'Ree play uh, as a as a child, and uh, you
2: know, saying to my to my father that you know that's going to be me one day."
0: Countless other black players since, like Tony McGegney, Jerome McGinla, Wayne Simmons, Anson Carter, Kevin Weeks, they all credit O'Ree with helping them find the confidence to keep pushing to become a better pro hockey player. The NHL, in turn, appointed Willie O'Ree the first director of the NHL Diversity Task Force, and today he spends a lot of his time traveling to youth clinics to spread his advocacy for the game. This is what he believes of his effort.
1: Kevin Weeks talks about how in his mind, hockey can cross all barriers and be a real unifier. Why do you think that hasn't happened to this point, that there aren't more players of color in the game? Uh, again too, you, it's, it's unique you, you've You've got to get on the ice. I mean, you, you know, you okay, can. Okay, but they, they got ice in Chicago. All they right. got ice in, but then in you New gotta, York. But you've got to make a decision. You've got to set a goal for yourself. You have to set goals for yourself and what you want to do and what you want to accomplish. You know, I, I set a goal for myself at 14. I said, I want to become a professional hockey player and I want to play in the NHL. And I didn't. I didn't stray away from that, regardless of what happened to me. I lost an eye, and I had some other injuries. But that's what I stayed. I focused. Do you think that, that for many kids of color, they still see hockey as a white man's game? Oh yeah, sure. You can see by the amount of uh, you know players of color that are in the league. There's only th- well, there's thirty teams in the league, and uh, if you look at each team, how many players of color are on each team? But uh, it's it's going to increase. It's, it's going to increase. I've, I'm, I'm Definitely the programs that I'm working with are, are going to help develop uh, players. And then they can make the decision what they want to do. They can choose hockey or they can choose baseball or soccer or tennis or whatever. But um, the opportunities are there. You just have to say, hey, this is what I want to do and work towards it. So
0: Martin Luther King Jr., if he were alive today, would be just six years older than Willie O'Ree. Here are two black men who have spent a great deal of their lives dedicated to the pursuit of racial equality and social reform. So my hat's off to you, Willie. Congratulations on your number being retired. This MLK Day, or whenever you listen to this episode, I encourage you to watch the bio documentary called Willie. Trailers and the film can be watched on places like YouTube and Amazon, and it was an official selection of the Hot Docs Film Festival in 2019. So, thanks for listening to our Common thread segment, and now it's time to turn our attention to our guest. Todd, why don't you say hi to our listeners out there today? Hello, everyone. Thanks for being on today. Really appreciate it. Todd is a very interesting guy todd runs an appraisals business as evidenced by his creative business name todd Sawaski appraisals uh, i todd went way also... up to figure that one out <laughs> todd also worked at the hockey hall of fame for a while and during that time um i don't think it really started his love for collecting but it certainly um cattle like just must have done wonders for your love for it, and I'm sure you like. Well, I know from seeing your fan cave that you just have an incredible collection of both jerseys, pucks, cards, signatures, pretty much every facet of hockey that you would want to collect. Todd's got in his uh, very impressive basement. So, Todd's on today to talk a little bit about um, the history of the game. Like we have been appraisals and collecting and what that's about, and just kind of jerseys in general and uh, what he loves about the older or new jerseys and all the tiers in between. So Todd, thanks so much for being on, really appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, thank you for
2: the invite, I appreciate
0: it. So uh, let's start at the beginning, you're in Ontario, right now uh you're Mm -hmm. wearing a jets jersey so are you from the toronto area and like or sorry the ontario area on the west coast or are you from manitoba and you're i i I am originally from manitoba
2: yes so that that is where um that is where i started playing hockey as a kid um i grew up uh, southeast of uh winnipeg um near a small community called Landmark, Manitoba. Um, The interesting fact of that, if you are the history or trivia questions, it is the most centrally located village in Canada on the uh, 96th latitude, I believe that would be called, or longitude. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So right dead center in the the middle of Canada, uh, about an hour and a half from the border. And uh, yeah, that's where I started. Uh, that's where I started my my love of the game.
0: That's really cool that you're like truly from the Winnipeg, Manitoba area. You're a Jets fan. You must be super happy that you have a team again. It hasn't been without the heartache in between. It was weird too because you know before the Jets entered the NHL, they were really, really good in the WHA right like yeah out of of, a couple championships
2: they won won four Avco Cups um, in uh in a very well uh they they made it to the final six times won four and uh yeah they were the powerhouse that was the um that was the WHA yeah um uh they're one of the first teams to bring in Swedish players for example mm -hmm. So a lot of the European invasion came through the WHA, which trickled into the NHL. You always had the odd exception in the NHL, but not nearly to the extent where they were actually the superstars of the league.
0: Right. I mean, the jets were for all intents and purposes, like a very competitive team throughout that league's existence. I mean, as other teams were popping up and folding, they were still running show. They had um, mm-hmm. they were able to take advantage of the uh, reverse clause in the NHL and take a lot of the players that were not under current contract in the NHL and bring them into that league. So that's how you see the richest contract in hockey history at the time with Bobby Hall uh, joining the team and stuff like that. The Bobby Hall
2: contract uh, guaranteed that. Without that contract, I don't think the WHA would ever become, come into existence. Um, they hit, they asked him um, what it would take for him to jump ship to the WHA, and he said a million dollars. So they signed him to a $2 million contract with a million dollar bonus, signing bonus, uh, 10 years at 100,000, and uh, the rest is history.
0: Yeah, it's quite, I mean, he's one of the players who now has his number retired um, by the the Jets organization. It's kind of- Original yeah,
2: Jets organization.
0: Yeah, it's it's kind of interesting. <laughs> I know the Jets as a franchise have been there twice. So it's always kind of like, how do I talk about the team's history and what record books are we talking about here? But in a weird kind of cool sort of way, like, Bobby Hull gets his number retired, but it's then followed to Phoenix when they move there. And then also, Brett Hall, his son, near the end of his career, ends up playing in Phoenix and takes his dad's number. So they unretire it so his son can wear it and mm-hmm. then put it back in the rafters when he leaves, yeah, and that was a short-lived experiment yeah. it was. It was very weird, <laughs> yeah, for sure. But, you know, the other strange thing is, like, I, you are definitely the guy to know this. It's not like Dale Howard Chuck's number is hanging in the Phoenix Coyotes buildings, right? It is actually. Oh, it is. Okay, great. Oh, yeah. So yeah. maybe this will help clarify things for listeners. Is the current Winnipeg Jets team, like for following records and franchise and stuff, like which ones do they?
2: Their, their records got followed from Atlanta. Uh, for example, Ilya Kovalchuk has is is still in the top ten scoring in, in the current Winnipeg Jets history. Um, okay. stuff like that. So so though um, so Atlanta, which joined the league uh, ninety nine, um, from ninety nine until present, that is that is where their their stats are coming from. Uh, the Jets do have a um, their version of uh, the Jets Hall of Fame. Uh, so they are honoring past players um, that could be WHL, NHL, whatever. So they do have banners in the rafters for um, some of those players. Howarchuk being one of them, uh, they're what they call their production line of Bobby Hall, Anders Nielsen, um, and, uh, or Anders Hedberg and Alf Nielsen. Um, They've, uh, they've honored Randy Carlisle and uh, Ab McDonald, previous captains of the team. Um, Ab McDonald was the first captain of the, uh, the Winnipeg Jets. Um, that goes into the WHA era, of course, um, where Carlisle was one of the last captains um, of, if you want to call it Jets 1.0, before the move to Phoenix.
0: Gotcha. Wow. There's a lot of history there. I mean, how do you feel about go, like in normal circumstances, going to a Jets game for hypothetical and like, so then they don't have the numbers retired. Right. And how does that sit with you? Uh,
2: currently, they don't have the numbers retired and I'm perfectly good with that. Um, okay. Different franchise, different stats. Yeah. um but what i love is they honor the uh and honor and respect the old um the original franchise and that's mm-hmm. why i absolutely um love their uh heritage jerseys um first in 2016 with the white version and 2019 uh actually a jersey i'm wearing now um the blue version and it's the colors of the WHA era um uh, yeah. Basically, their final champ Avco Cup Championship style of jersey is what they've honored with the heritage, um, the heritage jersey.
0: Yeah, so the- I, I love that too. I, 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 and I mean, I love the ways that the Jets organization has found that blend between, hey, we are a new team, new set of, you know, records. I mean, minus their time in Atlanta. But like, for all intents and purposes, different than the other Jets, but we're still going to figure out a way of um, keeping the peace, yeah. you know, with our fans, so to speak. You know, I don't think yeah. anyone's going to join the Jets and start clamoring to wear um, uh, Howard Chuck's old number and stuff like that.
2: Uh, no, no one's going to be bothered by seeing the old jerseys. That is for damn sure. And, and and now that they've incorporated that logo into their heritage jerseys, it's just one more reason to wear a current jersey with the old logo. <laughs> for sure.
0: And, like, what do you think of the reverse retro of the Jets? Because, I mean... Conceptually,
2: I, I, I yeah. love it. Conceptually, I love it. To me, that is the 1980s or the 1979 style of uh, jersey. Um, I just don't like the color I, I don't like the fact that they went with the, if you want to call it the grayscale. Mm-hmm. Um, um, like, like even, uh, and I know I've heard uh, people that don't like those shoulder stripes, for example, but that's what the Jets had. And mm-hmm. that's something like that or details like that I absolutely love. But uh, then when you see it in, if you want to call it black and white with just a hint of blue in there, um, uh, it, it's weird. I mean, I'll buy one eventually. I'm sure I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll wait for the jet store to put them on sale for 50% off and then I'll buy one from them. But, uh, <laughs> but, uh, otherwise I, uh, I think they could have done better. I think they could have done better. Like maybe something kind of how, um, you know, the Washington capitals did it with the, the, the swooping Eagle, um, instead of the teal, they have the current color scheme of the, of the team and they did the predominant red, something like that for the jets where instead of it being a prominent blue, but making it red with maybe reversing the the stripes with the blue and stuff, um, I think could have really set it, uh, set it to another level. Yeah. That's my personal standpoint. (laughs) No, I mean,
0: it's, it's what I've been doing while you're, you're talking to is I'm, looking at um, the like concept art that's in Fabric of the Game, uh, the book, um, on like, some of the earliest designs that they had as a choice when the franchise was moving to the NHL. And I'm also looking at the reverse retro, and I'm hearing what you're saying about those heritage jerseys. And it's all kind of coming together in this reverse retro because the striping that you're talking about is very indicative of their first style jerseys. And then also that grayscale color scheme is very, very, very similar to one of the color schemes that was originally proposed as the um, first jersey for the Jets to wear in their first year in the NHL when, like, their jersey was this big W crest instead. And uh, so it looks pretty interesting. Here, I'll, I'll... well, I don't want to show the book because I want people to buy the book. It's an awesome book, but um, yeah, yeah. Send me it's... send me the
2: link to the, what that book is because that that would be something I would definitely be interested in picking up. Um, yeah. I, I like you said, I have heard that it was a concept of uh, uh, one of their early designs from the move, um, mm-hmm. but uh, I haven't seen all of the uh, the concept art.
0: So, I mean as a as a guy who appreciates history and like the the iterations of this team and stuff um it's kind of interesting how factoids like that affect my perception of liking this jersey or not like i actually like this jersey way more now because i'm like oh that's really cool that you included that mm-hmm. and um one of like this jersey to me this reverse retro jets falls into the category of Not one of my favorites, but when you see the whole kit, like when the player is with the helmet, the gloves, and the pants and stuff, I agree, it's awesome. So yeah, yeah, uh, the
2: the colors do pop. It's just when when you're used to the 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 blues and like, yeah, I, I know a lot of people don't even like if you want to call it their third with just the Jets logo, um, uh, with their secondary blue being the primary color, um. I actually love it. I think it's nice and clean. And actually, um, some of the original WHA Jets jersey from one thousand, nine hundred and seventy-two or so on, they just had a a very plain Jets written word Mm -hmm. crest. It wasn't their logo per se, but that was their crest, and uh, it it incorporated that into it. So I I do I do appreciate uh, little details like that.
0: Yeah, for sure, and. Talking about little details like that, let's get into Todd Sawatsky, the appraiser, a little bit because mm-hmm. um, clearly you need to have uh, some eagle eyes as you're looking at stuff, and mm-hmm. um, you know, an appraiser is got to have a lot of other knowledge over what they're looking over if they're supposed to value some things. And um, I want to start at the beginning of that. So I figure your time at uh, spent with the Hockey Hall of Fame had some impact on you wanting to be an appraiser. So I'm not sure where you want to start your journey of how you became an appraiser, but I'm very curious how that fits in with your hockey fandom.
2: It just kind of came about it It's actually something my uh, my wife Tiffany, uh, mentioned to me because a lot of people would come up to me because of my passion for collecting would come up to me. It's what's this worth. I've even had card shops ask me for opinion on things. Um, when I've been in their shop and stuff and they're like, so what do you think of this? And it's like, yeah, looks good. No, that's crap. You know, (laughs) stuff like that. Um, and, uh, you know, I would mention it. She's like, well, and, and then I started looking around and getting some of my own stuff appraised and, Finding a sports memorabilia appraiser, um, even whether it's for insurance purposes or whatever, um, it, I found it incredibly difficult. And then she's like, well, why don't you just do it? So, uh, that's when I, uh, I, I did some looking around and I found, um, a reputable organization called the, uh, Canadian personal property appraisal group, um, that I uh, took a course with and got certified. And uh, so I am a member of that, uh, member of that group. Um, so technically I can appraise anything, not just sports memorabilia, but because it's what I know best and what I love to work with, that is what I am focusing on. Very cool. So it, it, it kind of became, yeah, it was kind of a granular transition. So, um, but then even in the appraisal process, I I have a mental switch. I have to turn off looking at it as a collector and would I want to buy this? And if I were to buy this, how much would I want to spend? And blah blah so, so there is that aspect to it. And, uh, and then it's just like, Nope, this is what this is. I, you know, I, you know, I catalog it. I, um, uh, I, I assess it. I check the market what uh what the items are being sold for and based upon um my assessment of the market i come up with a calculated value so yeah, I... that 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 that's that's what an appraisal is in, a, in is in in essence it's it's a calculated assessment of value um and and, and that the market really dictates it so something that may be worth five hundred dollars today last week technically could have been worth 400, you know, it, it all depends, you know, the, the market does have ebbs and flows. So, Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and based upon the assessment, I produce a legal document. So I date all, of course, all my documents are dated. So I, I say my, you know, the value of that item as of, you know, we can pick, uh, right. You know, Jan you know, today's date, January 9th is, uh, is X amount of dollars, but if it were to be looked at, let's say two years down the road, you know it, that item could be worth less. It could be worth more. It's hard to say. Um, you just you just never know where the market goes.
0: And even even if they don't like sell it, but they're just getting it valued at that point in time, that's very valuable to somebody. I mean, for myself right yeah. now, I've been on a collection that um, really centers around wool sweaters. And in the last, I've been doing it for probably six years, and there's about eighteen of them that I'm trying to collect from a, an original set that was released in the '90s, and mm-hmm. they're called the CCM Heritage sweaters. And yeah, I know exactly um, which ones you're
2: talking about. Yeah, <laughs> I remember. I remember seeing those in the shops.
0: So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Wow. Yeah, I, I'm actually in search of just a few. But I also really want to try to find, like, original catalog of it. I think it would be so cool to, like, see what the retails were, retailers were getting, you know, when, like, it was shipping oh, to stores. Oh, interesting. As an um, because I'm so obsessed with these jerseys slash sweaters that I want to recreate, like, the catalog when I finally have all of them and stuff. Anyway, I'm, I'm sick. Anyway, I know it, but the you, point, you know, that, what, I, it, that,
2: that is dedication. <laughs> so I appreciate
0: that. <laughs> Instead of catching me, like trying to sneak a Jersey into the house, she like catches me with like me over a Jersey with like a professional camera and lighting equipment. And she's like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> 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 but I'm bringing this up because, um, I have no I have no intention of selling any of these jerseys. But mm-hmm. in the last like year, the value of them has tremendously increased. And so I'm kind of considering getting them appraised because I mean, I'm not that weird in the head that I know that these things are worth like shitloads of money. I just think it's interesting to see that like I could buy these things for a third of the cost. A couple of years ago, that I'm seeing them for now, and mm-hmm. even in the last six months, some of these are just going up by like 50 bucks, which is, you know, about 30 percent of what they're originally worth, which is significant. You know, when you give yeah. it as percentages, so it's just, it's just fascinating how like you're saying it ebbs and flows. And I bet if the same like jersey I had was appreciate or valued over the span of these six years, it would look like a crazy roller coaster that's now starting to go up, which is interesting. Well, well yeah, and, and, and that, down, that, you know
2: exactly, and, and that's that's also kind of how I base it when I when I you know calculate you know um, calculate the value of something is I do see highs, I do see lows, and it's it's being intelligent enough to be able to see past the the extremes. You know, right. and, and I think I think that's that's the thing is, you know, somebody can see one item and it's like, holy crap, that thing's worth 500 bucks. I want 500 bucks for this. Well, you know what? Yeah, someone does want 500 bucks for it, but the market may be 100. <laughs> yeah,
0: no, for sure. And, uh, Collecting is very much not uh, well, it's a blend of what it's worth and also what you're willing to pay, right? <laughs>
2: Yeah, that, that is actually the best way I can describe it. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. And and that's also something about being an appraiser as well, is I went into it to um, be able to appraise sports memorabilia, but because I am an appraiser, I can't appraise my own stuff.
0: That's because it awkward. needs to be
2: third party and it's considered yeah. a conflict of interest.
0: That would make So sense, I can't put a
2: yeah, it, it, it's it's a conflict of interest to appraise my own items, even though I legally produce documents for other people right. stating the value of, the code, of similar sure. things that, yeah, <laughs> that, that's <laughs> called ethics. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but it's weird, man. It's weird.
0: <laughs> and I mean, aside from appraising things, you've also been very helpful in this community in helping us understand how to take care of some of our possessions so um for our listeners out there jersey related specifically i know that you've done videos on how to wash and care for your jerseys that's um super helpful but also a more common ask i think one of one of the less common things that people are wondering is like how would i go about um protecting something that's super valuable to me that I want to put in a case or something like that. And I know there's ways that you can, um, you've hinted at ways that you can kind of protect signatures on jerseys. And then there's also like different kinds of glass that you can put on cases so that it doesn't get sun worn and stuff like that. Do you have tips yeah. like that, that you'd like to share well, around? Care a- for absolutely. Jerseys? And
2: And and whether it's a jersey, whether it's a hockey card or um, an autograph photo, um, sunlight is is, is your enemy. It is great to have those things lit up. It is great to have them, you know, nicely focused, but the sunlight will bleach anything Mm. and it will actually fade autographs as well. Um, So one of the biggest tips is keep it out of direct sunlight. I'm not saying don't have it in a sunny room, but keep it out of direct sunlight. Uh, that would be one of the big things um, UV protected glass is quite common these days as well um, so um, if there is some sunlight where it might get a little bit here and there, that will help um it's 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 kind of although it's not a tint um it does help protect the um uh, your collectible that much more. Um, and also if you are getting it framed and stuff, there are different ways to get things framed. Some of them are more hanger style. Um, some of them are more, you know, pressed flat kind of style. Um, if there is any matting in, in the frame, um, make sure that that is also acid free. Um, okay because um, acid-free uh, matting um, will, will preserve your item, but if there is acid in that um, matting, it can leach into the uh, the collectible, and it doesn't matter mm. what type of collectible it is. So one of the easiest ways to actually look for that, um, especially if you know something's been you know, framed up a couple years ago or whatever, uh, most of those mattings are laser cut. And so, no matter what the color is of the matting, it can be red, blue, black, it doesn't matter. The, uh, the inner material is always white. Okay. And if, if that white stays white, it's acid free. If there's a tint of yellowing to it, you know there's acid in it. And it's probably okay. best that you uh, look for another solution. <laughs> I've seen cards ruin that way. Eight by tens ruined that way. Um, I'm sure, uh, jerseys. Um, I, well, I haven't seen directly jerseys, but it would do the same thing for sure.
0: Yeah. Uh, that's a great tip. Wasn't there something about spraying, um, the Jersey oh, with it, something too, right?
2: Yeah. Well, if you are wanting to get something autographed, Oh um, yes. And, and, and this is in particular to white numbering and or lettering. Um, do a quick spray with a uh, unscented hairspray. Uh, let it dry for about five ten minutes. So if you are going to a public signing, or even if you were to send something in for a uh, private signing, uh, give it a spray first. Uh, the numbers a spray first and. Uh, um, that way, when it does get signed, uh, the it prevents the uh, marker from bleeding into the number.
0: I so appreciate that tip. I actually um, have a jersey up here on display from another Vancouver Canucks jersey collector with the same name as me, and Elias Patterson likes to personalize all his signature so i was like mm-hmm. i'm never gonna get anything signed by him unless oh wait look this guy is also named daniel perfect so i've got it hanging up and it's it's got a little bit of that marker leaching that you're talking about yeah so so that's exactly what you know as as someone who loves details to the nth degree i i'm a little bit bothered by it not enough to not enjoy looking at it all the time but knowing that that tip exists I now want to make sure anything I send away includes that because you're basically protecting the fabric so that the the marker yeah. doesn't bleed into the material and actually just kind of stays as a coating on top of that number.
2: Yeah. Like if it's a dark number that gets mm-hmm. signed, especially with let's say uh, a sil- or silver or a color like that um, for whatever reason, the darks tend not to, um, to, to bleed um, okay. or, or leach in. But uh, but if you are looking at more of a white numbering, um, that is uh, that is a big help. That actually I found out going to a shop when I was getting a jersey signed, and they're like, "Did you condition the jersey?" I'm like, "I just want it signed." It's like, "Oh, we'll quickly spray it for you." Like, "Thank you." <laughs> <laughs> so then I just hung around for five ten minutes in the shop. Well, the player was signing some other stuff. It was a Mark Shifley signing, and uh, then uh, then I got it signed and. Um, Um, that was done, geez. This year will be well, that was it was done in uh 2011, the year he got drafted, so there's been no uh no leaching or bleeding of that marker since. So, uh, I can I can I can tell you tell from example that it works.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And let me let me use that as a as a point of um asking you about kind of like some other jerseys that you might be after right now because uh. Sign stuff is something we both have in common. I just mentioned my Pedersen. Um, you've got the Shifley, you've also got a game worn klitsum, which is like your your description, the best name in hockey, right? Which is just amazing. <laughs> yes. Well, the fact um, that his first name is Grant.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it just kind of goes along with it. <laughs> oh my god, it's so
0: it's so great, right? Um, so I mean You've you've kind of got a game well, not kind of you've got a game warrant, you've got some signed. Are you someone that goes after like filling out the Jets collection and jerseys over their history? Or somebody who goes after tiers of like game worn signed by player, authentic, rep, like beer league. Oh, okay. Or, I, I or, see where you're like, going on this where? one. What's yeah. your thing there?
2: Um most of the jerseys I buy i like to wear that's kind of my focus you know to me it's more of my own enjoyment um however when it comes to game worn stuff and signed stuff those are items that actually game worn stuff i'll wear to expos sometimes i've worn them to games um uh when it comes to signed stuff they usually don't see the light of day again yeah um they're they're just You know, usually in the closet and uh you know, I can bring them out from time to time for uh, hey, look what I have. But (laughs) so um although I do have signed items, uh especially when it comes to jerseys, it's it's can can compare to the other types of items that I do collect, the jersey is usually last on the list to get signed because Mm -hmm. then I can't wear it. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. (laughs)
0: And I mean, you've got some like, uh, like, do you zero in on a specific type of like, do you actively collect jerseys right now, kind of like in search of something? Is there anything on your watch list Um, or is there a grail that you're after or anything?
2: To me, it all kind of comes down to dollars and cents and what I can afford at the time. I just recently saw a jersey that I would love to have got my hands on, but, um, I, I I I used some restraint because my money was a little bit low even though I could have dished out for it. Um uh that would have been a uh, some um uh off off the uh, off the back uh game jersey mm-hmm. uh during his if you want to call it second tenure with the Jets after he spent a year overseas and then came back switched numbers. Um but uh so, so that one kind of hurt passing. <laughs> sure. But um, when I started it, it was, I worked with a guy who, um, who was into it. Um, he actually had an Adam party Jersey that I bought off of him. It was a quad city flames, AHL Jersey. Um, oh, cool. Adam party uh, was the def- was a defenseman for the Winnipeg jets at the time. So mm-hmm. Um, so that was cool. Then I ended up buying a couple other things off of him, even though they, you know, they were game use jerseys and he was, he was a little bit hard up for cash. So I ended up just buying stuff off of him once he threw a price that I was willing to pay. Um, uh, so some of those jerseys, um, I have a WHL training camp Jersey that was used during the Hitman, uh, in the, uh, the late nineties. I have a um, Bridgeport Sound Tigers jersey. Uh, it's a Matt Keith jersey, but it's a recycled one that used to be of uh, Daryl Bootland. Um, so the the Keith name bar on it is takes up the whole you know shoulder to shoulder because Bootland was such a long name. Oh,
0: cool! So but then when they, they just stripped
2: off the name, yeah, they just replaced the <laughs> name bar. So it's a recycled jersey from that. Um, uh, I also have. I have a, a KHL game Jersey, um, of, a you know, a, a prospect from the wild from the early two thousands. you know, I got a couple of oddballs like that. And then, then the next one I got, which was awesome that I found was, um, a Jason Jaffrey, uh, Manitoba Moose Jersey. Oh,
0: cool! And
2: so not only was it Manitoba Moose, but Jason Jaffrey tech was, was part of the, um, first year uh return to the uh nh uh, jets in the nhl team as well. So it kind of ca- ca- crossed off two um you know two check boxes for me, you know, it he played for the nhl played with the jets, but he was still a moose and uh um I really loved those Manitoba Moose jerseys. So um I got that one. And the most recent one I got is a practice jersey out of the British Hockey League, Ice Hockey League, of uh, a player called uh, Daryl Hay, who played with the moose. But it was uh, a sweet deal on the practice jersey, so I had to grab it.
0: (laughs) So I bought that one out of the UK. Yeah, you're definitely more um, of the obscure stuff, which helps you probably get some of these obscure ones at like prices that are affordable too which is well what 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 i have decided to focus on is
2: uh jets players and or draft picks Cool. that's what i've started to focus on so i do see some really great jerseys at times really great prices but the the daryl hay one i just thought the jersey was so cool and he technically played with the moose even though he uh you know, I, I thought that was good enough. <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah. It's funny how, when you're like, I just need a reason, gymnastics, mental gymnastics take over. Yes. Okay. Great. Except uh, fun. Yeah, um, exactly. That was yeah, that
2: interesting. Cause it's all screen. It's all screening. Um, It's not pressed or anything. It's all screened. And uh, it's, it's of course advertised up, you know, way the hell out there. The primary logo is like a, a freight or a, yeah, some kind of freight company. I don't yeah, know it's, that's another
0: interesting thing about just if you've never seen a European pro jersey or practice jersey. I mean, if you're complaining about ads coming to NHL jerseys, just look what it could be. And I exactly. think that's kind of the argument. It's like this is the gateway. Like if you allow one, it'll yep. eventually look like Europe. And it is kind of like ah, like yeah. crazy. Um it's like time Well the AHL on a jersey, has had
2: their um Uh, If you want to call it shoulder patches for many, many, many years Mm -hmm. already, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, opposite what would be the lettering on, uh, you know, a captain or assistant on the other side. So, you know, a lot of the old Manitoba Moose ones from before the Jets returned were, you know, Toyota or Pepsi or something along those lines. Toyota was a big one for them.
0: Um, I also think that the way that the nhl is going right now and they've been needing other additional ways to get revenue to make up for like the COVID losses i hate Mm -hmm. to say it but i could see um advertising coming to jerseys pretty soon um they already now are gonna i'm I'm surprised it hasn't happened already um truth be told yeah i mean they really i think they for some reason, and a lot of the things I don't like what the NHL does, but their their stance on keeping the jerseys pure is like one I really enjoy. And like they seem to yeah. be really knowing that that's a huge revenue opportunity for them, but they're not pursuing it like they're trying to avoid it. But they did allow it on all teams for helmets this year. So that is definitely yeah. happening.
2: Yeah, yeah, the Jets have uh, Bell as their sponsor. So my my joke on that is, I hope no one gets their
0: bell rung. But, uh... <laughs> that'll happen like right into the first game of the exactly. Season. For sure, that'll be used. I mean, it. it I and it. I mean, that's going to be common too. You're going to see Bell because it's the Bell MTS, and you've got Capital One in Washington. Yeah. it's the same deal there. Like that team exactly. Stuff. Um, so. That I just threw that in as a tangent, but uh, I like the way that you're going about that collection. I think that's pretty cool. Um, I'm curious too. Like, did for me when I started buying authentics, like CCM authentics, I I had a hard time buying CCM reps at that point. Did your um, time at working with the Hockey Hall of Fame and just you know finding yourself in an elevator with game used gloves from Steve Eiserman's Cup run? Like, did that just make it impossible for you to buy anything other than game worn or used or practice stuff? Uh, abs- absolutely
2: not. Absolutely okay. not. Um, <laughs> I I can't, I can't say I I wasn't even into game jerseys at the time when I worked there. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just it was awesome seeing the stuff. It was awesome holding the stuff or getting the opportunity to do so. Um, and uh, you know, I always liked jerseys. Um, one of my first if you want to call it modern era jerseys, which was, you know, a replica, um, uh, was a Calgary Flames one. Um, you know, I kind of, I started following the Flames a little bit when um, uh, they were making their cup run in 04, um, which uh, sadly did not materialize, but uh, um, I absolutely loved that one. So, you know, even thinking of their retro jersey, the, 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 the horse head, was the uh, you know the shoulder patch on, on those Great. jerseys. And so I love that. <laughs> yeah.
0: They brought Blasty back.
2: Yeah, exactly. You know, some people call it the flaming snot, but uh, <laughs> I, I think it's pretty good, you know.
0: <laughs> yeah. And the Buffa Slug and Oh Turford the Buffa Slug. I love the names of all of these. Yeah the Captain Highliner and Yeah. Um so I mean I I, I'm curious. I know that your job at the Hockey Hall of Fame was not related to your appraisal business. You weren't like no. seeing things come in, appraising things, and then put you no, know, no. I worked in IT. Yeah, you did work. Yeah, IT, I worked on their IT department. Yeah. And we have another guest coming on an episode who worked at a company called Migre, Migre, depending on oh, how you yeah, say it. Oh, yeah, Migre. Yeah, Migre. Yeah, Migre. Exactly. You know it. Um, they they do
2: a lot of the. The jersey, uh, a lot of a lot of the teams use them to um for their authentication purposes of game war and stuff, especially
0: exactly. and and so even though her role at that organization was not also directly related to appraising things, she the privilege of working there did allow her to kind of roam around and describe what she was like involved in on a day to day. Mm -hmm. with your ability to work at the hockey hall of fame it comes with the privilege of having access um to things i'm just curious if there was any times that you found yourself wandering around looking at the memorabilia either on display or back room because in my head the hockey hall of fame is like the smithsonian where like there's the display and then there's this back room with like just like Ark of covenant style shit back there and stuff like that so Kind of uh, in, in a way, it
2: is kind of like that. Yes. Yeah.
0: Um, uh, what what you see on the
2: display is maybe 1% at best of their collection. Um, so that just kind of tells wow. you what they have there. Um, when I was working there, that's when they built, um, that's when the, uh, the resource center went online. Um, so the resource center is actually in the same building as where the Leafs practice. Um, um, and, uh, so that's why I ended up with things like you said, with some, you know, Iserman game stuff and other players game stuff in the back of my car. Cause I was dragging it equipment over there and, uh, you know, I was asked to asked by Mr. Phil Pritchard himself to, uh, you know, bring some stuff over there while I was on my way, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, that was the year that Iserman got inducted. So oh. um, you, you, usually what happens is when in an induction year, um, players will donate pieces to the hall. And then okay. um, especially that first year um, after they've been announced that they've been inducted, those are the artifacts that will probably go on display in the very near future. Um, and then uh cuz uh they they designate um the inductee, they there's a the the current inductees are always displayed prominently um during their year of induction and then they'll get swapped out later when uh, the next next round of inductees come about but um but yeah there that that was that was definitely interesting you know one of the guys that uh the all-star game was um in in Montreal and, you know, a bunch of stuff came back and, you know, there was a Daniels Charles stick that he used in one of the competitions. And, uh, I just, you know, I picked up the stick and I stood behind beside it and the stick was taller than I was. And I'm like,
0: <laughs> damn. <laughs> oh, man. I'm I'm fairly confident. He's the reason there's a change in the NHL for stick length that it be, um, well, it it was like tech- either it could always be this, unless your name is Zedano Chara, or it was like, or now if it's over this long, it can't be this percent of your overall length of your body unless you're Zedano Chara or something like um,
2: that. Yeah, there there is a height, a height thing that comes into play when it comes to those guys. I mean, I I haven't met Zedeno in person, but uh, you know, at six foot nine, I can only imagine he'd be towering over me pretty easily (laughs) me being closer to six so uh uh yeah
0: (laughs) (laughs) so so is the resource center kind of where the other 99 that's where everything gets stored okay that that's where the majority of it gets stored
2: um when it got built they they basically just had a bunch of different warehouses that they just stack stuff in um, mm-hmm. the basement, there was a lot of stuff, um, uh, the same level as the, uh, the hall of fame itself. Uh, there was always a bunch of stuff in there, um, upstairs in the office area, which is where I worked. There was always a bunch of stuff up there. Um, since, uh, since the resource center got, uh, got built, um, all that stuff got majority of that stuff got moved over. Not to say you won't have anything lingering around, but, um. But yeah, that that's where uh, that's where it's stored. So they have, you know, professional stick racks and um, shelves full of you know goalie helmets and masks and uh, God knows how many jerseys. And but like even think of the media publications and all that other kind of stuff. They they keep they keep a, well everything.
0: Wow, this would be a really good time to tell me that your job at the hall of fame and it was setting up this brand new nine layer encrypted safe. And therefore you and I can stage a heist and break in there and steal whatever we want at some time. You're like our inside. Well, that, man. Would,
2: that, that, that would definitely hurt, uh, hurt any
0: uh, future appraisal work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can imagine it, but think of, think of what we could own in the, right? We would just be able to wear Gretzky's 50 goal well, and 39. Well, you kind of like
2: saw what happened just recently here in, well, in Ontario when, uh, uh, a family friend, um, and, and their friends, you know, ripped off Walter Gretzky. Mm-hmm. And, uh, they, uh, thankfully the police were able to, to retrieve. I, I don't know if anything is missing, uh, still or not, but, uh, Some of that stuff went into private collectors and uh, some of those guys have, there's some private collectors with some pretty deep pockets, so they don't really care how they come about it.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, I'm, I'm a Gretzky collector. That's the part that of this I can relate to the deep pockets part. No, no contest. I mean, I'm talking about like we saw a Gretzky jersey go up for sale a couple, like a month ago. And it was a it was valued to go for it was Gretzky's rookie one of the jerseys he wore during his rookie season it, when his, it was valued to go for between six and seven hundred thousand dollars at auction okay so like yeah. that's the kind of level of collecting we're talking about and the reason I just kind of name drop Gretzky is because there's actually very little Gretzky stuff relatively speaking um, in the Hall because Walter owns a lot of it. Like he is the gatekeeper to a lot of Gretzky stuff.
2: Walter was, he ended up being, um, shall we call it um, a collector before it was popular. Like um, when, when stuff happened back in the day, they would just, you know, get, you know, they would just uh, either the the teams would keep it. They would repurpose things. um, Mm -hmm. They, they, they would, They would, you know, get rid of it, you know, uh, a quick flash sale and out the door or something along those lines. And and Walter turned collecting um, into something popular Um, there. there, I have seen other I I remember years ago seeing uh, a story on actually a Vancouver Canuck collector and his his basement was turned into literally a dressing room, and the majority of the items in that dressing room were all original items that came out of the the Canucks dressing room, whether it be jerseys, benches, plaques, the whole nine yards. Um, so you, you've always had those individuals, but you know, even even you think of jerseys back in the day and why a game used. Item today is that much more accessible um, than you know even in the in in the 90s or in the 80s. And it's not just due to age, it's because they didn't market it. Mm -hmm. It wasn't, you know, you you take one of these outdoor games, you might have a player, you know, they might get a jersey for every period. So maybe a player will keep one of them. Um, one for sure will go up for auction. And then they might have another one uh, that hangs around too. So they might actually be using three jerseys over the course of a game for one of those specialty games, as opposed to back in the day, you had your home Jersey, you had your away Jersey. That was it.
0: And at the end of the season, you gave it back to the team.
2: Pretty much. Yeah.
0: Yeah. What a great way of putting it. And um, you're, you're like Walter became Borderline obsessed with chronicling his son's career. I mean, he did that with biograph- all his kids, though. That's very yeah, he interesting. did. That's that's yeah. very true. I mean, that is worth mentioning Um, because when you read some of these biographies on Gretzky or look at the pictures that they include, it's it's a museum within this small home in Brampton, Ontario. You're just like absolutely blown away um, at some of the stuff that is in there, and mm-hmm. he. It's not like I mean. Walter, as a as a man, was very. He was a forward thinker. I don't want to spend a lot of time, like, telling you about all of the tricks and trades that he did, but he did things like sit Wayne down in front of hockey net in Canada with a blank piece of paper and tell him to trace where the puck was going without looking down at the piece of paper. And I know that that tracking of the puck and imprinting that made affects how Gretzky's able to think like three mm-hmm. or four plays ahead later in his, in his career. So Walter is well, well, a you, smart guy,
2: you know? Yeah, yeah. Like even Gretzky's brothers, they, although they did have professional careers, uh, Brent, the only one that uh, um, had, a, had a taste of the NHL. But um, Keith was also a mainstay in the minors for many years. Mm-hmm. Of course, he is now uh, with the Oilers organization mm-hmm. in, uh, in a GM, uh, I think assistant GM capacity.
0: I think he played for the San Diego Gulls. For- I believe so. Um, but w- where I'm getting at is too with like this whole, like, m- you know, a momentum behind collecting and uh, Walter being that guy, and then Gretzky being that good. Mm-hmm. I watched his uh, Gretzky's last game in April in 1999. And during warm-ups, he changed his gloves four times. During that game, I think he wore like 40 different pairs of gloves. They literally swapped his gloves out every time he came off the ice. So you go from having like the jersey that would be recycled over the years, even within the Oilers organization in his first year, um, to then his last year in the NHL, and he's wearing 40 different pairs of gloves in one game.
2: Yeah. Well, exactly. Exactly. Like they knew the market was going to be that big. Um, the amount of gloves that, you know, maybe one of those pairs probably ended up at the hall. Um, some of those, one of those pairs probably ended up in the restaurant. Um, no doubt, you know, definitely something probably ended up in Walter's house, but then the rest of them that got sold off to whether it be the card companies that, um, you know and and that's that's the the thing that it it's a it's a it's a pro and a curse in my opinion to the game used market is the um the card companies will buy the memorabilia, cut it up, mm, and cut insert up. those yeah, you know insert those pieces of memorabilia into the cards. So for the avid fan, having an opportunity, even if it's a one by one square of a jersey or a glove or something along those lines, um, to be in the card, it's like you're, you know you're technically owning a piece, but um, to to get that piece, you had to desecrate something to do it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it's it's going to be a debate. I mean, again, on the accessibility front of owning something yeah. like that's a huge counter argument to it. It's like not that I'm taking a stance on either side. I'm just pointing out that you know. Like Here's a, here's another example. The reverse retros that came out, I was super freaking excited about for a few reasons. But one of them was because the Coyotes and the Ducks made jerseys that look a lot like the ones I've been trying to find for a long time at a decent price. And mm. it's really hard to find uh, a Wild Wing or a Peyote Coyotes jersey and not pay hundreds of dollars for it. And here's yeah. an opportunity for me to buy both of those jerseys brand new, look a lot like the earlier one in our, in some people's perspective, even better than the original one, not mine. But the point is now I have a wild wing and a peyote at an affordable price, brand new, and I am totally okay with that. And mm-hmm. I couldn't have, I, I really could never see myself spending the money to afford those originals, but more than happy to spend the money I did on the reverse retros. And I own a uh, Dave Williams Canucks um, uh, flying V skate jersey. And I was super freaking pumped when there was a card for sale that had a Dave Williams uh, game use Jersey part in it. So now when I display that Jersey, I put the card next to it and it just, it just is a cool way of displaying it. And, um, I hate that they cut up the Jersey because the part of the Jersey part of me is like, that's one less in circulation. But I also love what it does to my collection and my displaying. So it's, uh, Oh yeah. Well, I, I, I have
2: binders full of games like, um, Jersey cards and stuff. So, um, you know, when when the jersey cards came on the market, which uh, the first time it ever got hap- uh, introduced was the mid-90s. I think it was in 1995, 96 upper deck. And there was a 10-card set, Gretzky being a part of it, but it was like the top 10 um, um, stars of the game that year. So, you know, technically, John Van Biesberg was part of that set as well. Um, but, you know, there was very limited there was very limited uh those cards today are still very uh, valuable um but by the early 2000s you literally had a product and every single pack had a game card mm-hmm. uh jersey card which is which is great but um you know although he had a good career i don't know how many jp dumont collectors are out there so therefore you can you know good luck getting anything for it if you have it But if you are looking for it, you can get it dirt cheap. So, uh, the Jersey cards have, you know, definitely the big name stars. They produce fewer of them, so those ones will still command some money. But you still have all the lesser guys, um, uh, whether they're they've had one cup of coffee or an excellent career on the third or fourth line, and uh, those ones can get dirt cheap. You know, their value doesn't
0: hold. Interesting. And maybe to bring it all around, what makes it like balance out is, yeah, there's a ton more jersey cards now, but there's also a ton more jerseys for any individual player now. Yeah. So maybe it's not like true. taking out so much of those game warns from the overall circulation of game warns available. Like it totally is, but not relative to what was ever happening before.
2: Yeah, you know? that that that's true. I mean, you, um, over the course of the season. Uh, most teams in a a, a standard what, three season four? length uh, usually have three sets. Yeah, two to three sets at minimum, and that's both home and away, excluding the alternatives or right. thirds. And even there, like you said, a heritage game, they probably played with two or three jerseys. That game, um, uh, you know, uh, for the ones that that use a third jersey, they probably had. A, um, a set of those as well as their standard home and away. So uh, there's, there's a lot of them out there.
0: And I mean, uh, some of the ways that there's also other jer- jerseys is um, just, I know this from trying to look at Luongo jerseys recently. There's players that will wear like special jerseys and ups for a jersey retirement night. So you'll be able yeah. to get like an Aaron Ekblad, um Jersey from the season that was game worn, but actually it was just game worn in practice and are in warmups. And also it's not even with his number. It's with the number one on the back, but it's just a cool Jersey. Like, I I don't know if there's anyone familiar with Luanga's retirement specifically listening, but that Jersey is so cool because the number on the back, the number one had had laser um, inscribed his stats of his career in the number so it's it's That's like really cool freaking cool yeah
2: well i remember the um um solani retirement game and it was actually anaheim versus winnipeg and um the winnipeg jets um wore the 1990s you know with the Gold nice. for kids patch like the similar jersey to what you're wearing right now um That's dope. and all all of them had the the 13 solani on the back where all of anaheim's players had different jerseys from his career with Anaheim with the number eight on the back.
0: Oh, so uh, that is awesome
2: so so they 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 did a killer job of something like that too, where both teams fully embraced it.
0: <laughs> so I'm glad the uh, the ducks had the foresight to make sure they do it when the jets came to town. that's smart. Yeah, no, I, I, I mean, respect that as well yeah. I mean, he did it's, play
2: on a couple other teams, yes, but he didn't
0: have the success.
2: You know, there was no yeah. flash before Winnipeg, and uh, yeah. there was yeah. there there was not the dynamic duo of Korea and Salani without being an Anaheim, right? Those, you know, they they were just fantastic.
0: Well, we've definitely run the gamut on some history of pets and your time at as a collector and time as the Hall of Fame. Employee and some insights there, and and just collecting and appraising. I think it's been really fun chatting with you. But I'm not going to let you go without first a trivia. If you're down, okay, I'm game. <laughs> yeah. um, so you're a huge Jets fan, as it's become apparent to all of our listeners by now. I put three questions together that are, are related to jerseys and Jets in some fashion. Uh, no pun intended. We'll see how you do. Um, it's you get two of three right, you get a prize. We'll figure out something that we can send you as a collector. I'm not gonna give you anything in your collection you don't probably already have, but maybe a uh, some a patch or some OxyClean or some like old set of hockey cards <laughs> nice. or something. We'll we'll figure it out. You gotta get the questions first though. So all right, uh, sounds good. Uh, this first one is true false, and it is the Winnipeg Jets. Either edition of the Jets are uh, an expansion team of the NHL. True or false? Um, technically false. Yes. Technically false. Technically
2: false. false. What we wanted yes. Te- technically false um, for both versions because it was the merger of the WHA, and it was Atlanta that was the uh, expansion, and later moved to Winnipeg.
0: I feel I was looking into this a little bit, too, about like what was the result of them joining the NHL. And I was really thinking like if you're a if you're a Jets fan from the 70s, you're pissed like a lot because your team was super good. You join the NHL and then you're forced to lose like most of your star Everybody, players. In the, like, in the they were allowed to keep two players. They were allowed to take two players. So basically, the entire team that is running show in the other league it came from just got completely gutted. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then, as that's going on, your foe from your previous league, the Edmonton Oilers, they get crazy good. And then, as your team tries to rebuild its glory days and they get really good and they get players like Bobby Hall, uh, the way that the NHL is. Um, run at that time for like playoff structure and everything you're you have to win your division Mm -hmm. and then you have to play someone else from that and then you play for the stanley cup and there's no like reseeding going on so even though the jets finally get good enough to make the playoffs again they're not just good enough to make the playoffs again. They're like the fourth best team in the NHL, but they have to go into the same playoff conference as the other two best teams in the NHL. Yeah, the they were part the of Flames the Snipe division. and the Oilers, right? Yeah. So like literally they, they every powerhouse. year that they were so effing good, like fourth overall in the league, they still have to go against Gretzky and the Oilers or Lanny McDonald and the Flames. Like every year, so they're never getting out of the league, like ever.
2: Only only one year did they make it to the second round, and that was a round that uh, I think it was against Calgary that they beat. But um, Howard Chuck was taken out in the Calgary series, so then they lost their superstar player, um, so they they had no chance to. Yeah, and 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 the Jets, even though they were fantastic, as you just indicated. Uh, the one thing they never were fantastic with was goaltending, so okay. that was always a that was always an Achilles for them as well. I mean Essenza made them credible in the '90s, but in the '80s, the random goaltenders that went around uh, they were they were they probably would have been amazing backups in any team in the league, but those were our starters. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, goaltending um, they, was always a, a hard part for the, for the Jets, gotcha. especially in the, in, in the original uh, rendition.
0: And just as they're making it out of the playoffs, like late 80s, early 90s, that's when the league really started to suffer in Canada. And, and as a result of just the way that the, the wages were. So, um, uh, Well, it
2: was a combination of wages, yes, but it was the Canadian dollar.
0: No, the that's, Canadian dollar. that's definitely, yeah, it
2: too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, So wages were on, wages were finally on the increase, which definitely benefited the the players. But now all of a sudden you had a dollar where the exchange rate was sometimes 45%. So, yeah. you know, um, you know, 45% exchange on the Canadian dollar. And, you know, when you're paying a million dollars in salary to a guy uh, for a US. Canadian franchise, U- US, yep. Yeah. That's 1.45 US or uh, Canadian and they just couldn't keep up.
0: It's just, it's like the Jets are freaking good. they are just like always got the short end of the stick, in my opinion, because right as they're getting good in the 90s and the team is like getting momentum and stuff, that's when the league expands again. And like you have the well, you have more teams added, you have um players being allowed to be paid in US dollars but co- like Canadian teams collecting in Canadian dollars and like that's just not a good recipe for a successful franchise and so like it's not really the jets fault like maybe looking back at some of their deals for things like the team versus the arena sure but in general sense that shouldn't be a recipe for a failing franchise it was more the success of the NHL had a result in a negative way on teams like the Jets and the Nordiques and it was just like man so frustrating that both times that they were like running show and doing super well they were kind of held back by the way either the league was structured or uh reposition it's just like I feel for Jets fans like a lot more after reading through their history now because now that they have like a team and they're they've like even looking at their playoffs like over the last few years, especially last year, man, like that team was so good. And then you just have, wasn't it Shifley that just got like taken out by Kachuk right away, and uh, yeah, just yeah. decimated in by game, injuries yeah. right into the playoffs. And you're like, oh man, Paul well, Maurice, in the first you don't game, suck they lost as Shifley. A coach,
2: but yeah, dude, yeah, no, you know, it's, Mo it's has done tough. a fantastic job for that franchise. So yeah, for for any of those that are not a fan of Mo, um, I will defend him to the end, yeah. Um, but uh, uh yeah, losing Scheife and then they also lost Patrick Liney um, as well that first game. Mm-hmm. So you have a point per game player and while two point per game players get kicked out of your first uh, first game of the series, um, you know that's uh that that's two thirds of a line. That you is you can say very whatever difficult. you want <laughs> about the cliche of like
0: we're we're better team than any one player and it's like yeah but probably not better than your two best forwards so yeah um
2: or yeah two two of your four or 40 percent of your five best forwards are gone right. in one shot that like, that's a hard pill to swallow
0: and as much as I love Paul Maurice for everything he's done I also love Blake Wheeler for the kind of captain he is and oh I I don't I don't care I, I don't care what that means in that scenario that's a hard hill to overtime so I mean Good luck, right? Yeah.
2: And, and, and Ehlers really came into his own during that series he as did. well, especially for playoffs. So that the steps that the guys took were huge.
0: Uh, there was just too many that they needed mm-hmm. to go through. All right. Anyway, um, that was question one. Congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. We got questions. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But this one is a really good segue into the next one. And it's around the playoffs and, um, what the Jets have done in the playoffs. So it's it's an uh, like just um there's no multiple choice. I'm just curious if you know the answer here. What famous playoff hockey tradition involving fans wearing all one color to games was started by the Winnipeg Jets franchise?
2: Jeez, could
0: it be the whiteout? It is that's <laughs> it. <laughs> Yes, yes, I know that one very well, yeah, that that's a dope um. That's a really cool tradition. Well, that started... well, that was
2: that was back in the day when they were um, their home color, their uh, their home jerseys were white. So it made a lot mm-hmm. of sense.
0: And it was also and, uh, to kind of help them out of that really competitive division that we're talking about um, back mm-hmm. when they had to battle against the Oilers, the Flames. Like, what was yeah. it called? The Smythe Division, maybe. Smythe. Um, yeah, it was the Smythe Division. Yeah. So. That was kind of like their extra ump from the crowd to kind of help them try to get over this little bump that they had. And um, oh yeah, I, I, I have an old um,
2: I have an old pennant of um, from the Winnipeg White Air, whiteout era.
0: I also love how it carried from um, Winnipeg to Phoenix. And they then... they tried
2: it there. Uh, they I, I I respect that they tried it. But one of the things that I probably a lot of people don't realize is when the Coyotes were doing it, they literally put white T-shirts on the uh, on the seats. Yes,
0: yes, different. So,
2: so that's yes. that as as opposed to the people of Winnipeg coming out in their own white shirts and jerseys and everything else.
0: <laughs> that is the coolest thing I talk about with um, other Jersey fans and going to like. Being part of a Winnipeg Jets playoff game in a whiteout would be so. I I, for I, it because...
2: I I I actually I was at I've I've been in Winnipeg um, uh, playoff games. Okay. Um, back in the one era, and uh, yes, it's it's wild. It is. It's, it's pretty good.
0: All it, like I, I wasn't watching '90s Jets playoff games. Okay, so I learned about the in Phoenix. And I was like, oh, that's cool. And, like, they gave everyone T-shirts. That, that's how that got pulled off. That makes sense. And then mm-hmm. when I saw, like, how the Jets are now back and they're in the playoffs again, and it's the whiteout again, but then when you look, like, 90% of everyone has a Jets jersey on. It's not some, like, you know, T-shirt brought to you by the local paint company or whatever on the back. Like, you're just, like, mm-hmm. seeing everyone in, a, in an away jersey this team and you're just like holy shit! Like this team is yeah, yeah. like their and their fans are so awesome. Like I would love to be a part of that. That would look so fun. well.
2: Actually, the last Jets game I ever saw was the year that the Jets were against the um, the Canucks in the playoffs. I think it was ninety four, okay. and um, I am uh, that game. I actually was right behind the net. I was sitting beside the goal judge. Wow. (laughs) I'll tell you, it's it's cool to be there that close, but you can't see shit.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's like getting stuck in the corner by the glass on one side of your head when the play's in the other end, what the hell's going on?
2: Oh, exactly. So I always saw the the goalie. uh, my dad was, was sitting beside me and he, he had the post in his way so he could only see that, you know, 20% down the side of the boards. And my mom was beside him and uh, she loved the game.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, so, I mean, those seats are amazing. I mean, I'd love to be there to see, like, I I've sat like maybe like, uh, 10 rows behind the net before. And to see, I got to see Yannick Hansen rip a snapshot that went bar down. And it, if it didn't hit the net, it was going to hit my. F- and I was like, holy mm-hmm. shit, that was fast as hell. Like that was awesome. Like the quick release and everything. So to have that experience was great. But in my opinion, the best seats are about 10 rows up in the middle of the rink above where the players are sitting. Cause okay. you get to see yeah, the whole game. You get to see the interaction going on on the bench and you're above the the bench enough that they're not obstructing your view of what happens. Ice. Yeah. Um, cool. So that was question two. That only took half. Of one. We're doing. Great. But this. Yeah, is yeah. It didn't take as
2: one. long to get through the uh, the sidetrack. Yeah.
0: But this is the good news. The pressure's off. You've got two right right off the bat. So this third one. Uh, I be know. I, I was worried. Hard, so yeah, but I yeah, don't that's think good. it's going to. You're just too much of a historian <laughs> like me to like uh, get these. To be stumped by you. But I this one takes us back a little bit. This definitely related to the first part of the episode where we're talking about defunct teams and teams moving around the NHL and stuff like that. So um I'm wearing my Jets jersey right now from mm-hmm. like that uh nineties team. And um sorry, the earlier team. Sorry, like the not 90, well, the 1. Yes, 1. The 90s. Well, yes, the nineties team. Yeah, but the, yeah. That, the, that is a nineties jersey, yes. But it's also the jerseys that they were wearing early on in their inception in the NHL. And my question for you is this traditional red, white, and blue jerseys of the original Winnipeg Jets, when they joined the league, actually got their uniform colors and designs from someone else. Some other NHL franchise had an influence over the Jets jerseys being this red, white, and blue pattern. Do you know the story there and what franchise is responsible for that? Well,
2: that's where they got their stripes from. So it was the Rangers. Yes, that's right.
0: The GM of the Rangers at the time was John Ferguson, and when he arrived from New York, he brought them with him. So
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. Ferguson was the GM, even in WHA. Um, yeah, there's, there's actually there's, there's very few, um, uh, at least in the current version. There's very few. Uh, Few players that that are left from even any of the Thrasher lineup. Uh, Wheeler, of course, is there technically. Little, although who knows if he'll ever play again. Um, but you know, Bufflin walking away. Um, you know, he he's no longer part of that. And uh, pretty much, pretty much what they have now are 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 actual Winnipeg Jets era drafted players there's very few of the holdovers left.
0: There there was, uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. And that's also true of the original Jets, like the 1.0 Jets is when Shane Doan retired. Mm-hmm. Um, what was it? 2017. He was like the last player yeah. uh, in the NHL that was affiliated with the um, the Jets. And then like a couple months later, this other player that was drafted by the club that played professional in Germany also finished his career. So that was like the final player oh, okay. at all that was related. I missed that one,
2: yeah. And the, then
0: uh... th- the only other thing that's kind of a tie is I, there's no like um, confirmation on where he is right now. I didn't have enough time to, look at, but the original equipment manager. Of the 1.0 Jets, Zinger. I think might still be in the NHL. So if, Craig, I, I think Craig that's like Heisinger, the only thing left. <laughs> you're, you're talking so. about Craig Heisinger, and Craig yeah.
2: Heisinger is the assistant GM of the current Winnipeg Jets.
0: Oh, there you go. So
2: he's back. So he's
0: back there. So Zinger
2: actually became the GM of the Manitoba Moose during the IHL era after um, uh, Randy Carlyle stepped away. Mm. And uh, he has been uh, with, if you want to call the true north, ever since.
0: So Actually, Zinger is you know still there. Why <laughs> I I know this name now, because correct me if I'm wrong, you would definitely. But I have a strong indication that isn't he the one that's leading leading the Project Eleven effort, which is to help yes. raise mental awareness. Um, yeah, Rick, in Rick. hockey, and that is the legacy project of Rick Rippin, an ex-Canucks yep. slash ex-Manitoba Moose. Uh,
2: technically, he was signed by the Jets, but uh, he sadly took his own life before uh, training camp. So, yeah, uh, and yes. Um, Rippin came up. Rippin, uh, Zinger gave Rick Rippin the first um, pro contract. Um, hmm. So he was playing with the Moose. Um, the Canucks what loved they loved what they saw, ended up signing him later after successfully playing at the Moose, and uh, yes, so he he is the head of that, but yes, he's also the uh, the GM of the Moose as well as the AGM of the Winnipeg.
0: Gotcha. Currently today. Well, what a cool like this is just hockey, man. It's so connected. There's some way of like.
2: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's amazing. It's amazing all the tie-ins.
0: Todd, it's been awesome having you on, talking hockey history, jerseys, Hockey Hall of Fame, appraisals, all that good stuff. And I Mm -hmm. want to thank you for coming on. It's been a pleasure. How can people get in touch with you if they want their own things appraised? And where can they talk to you more about stuff should they feel the need to?
2: Absolutely. Um, I am on both Facebook and Instagram, uh, Todd Sawatsky appraisals. Uh, it is a mouthful yes, but I'm sure I'll be linked to this uh, this podcast. So click on there. My details are in there. Um, also, Todd Sawatsky appraisals at gmail.com is my email. Um, and yes, um, even though I may be in different cities and um, I still am able to perform services. Uh, we can work together to arrange um, uh, if, if something that you would be interested in. Um, all my estimates are free. We can discuss all that. And uh, if you want to use my services, I'm sure you'll be happy with uh, the results.
0: <laughs> yeah, cheers, man. I've really enjoyed like pinging you when I see something historic and you giving me my two, some two cents there. It's really helped me out a lot. So. Highly recommend Todd. He's really smart in the, on these kinds of things.
2: I appreciate the um, the invite to this podcast. It's been fun, and um, yeah, keep up the good work, man.
0: Thanks. Well, uh, thanks for your time this morning, and uh, have a great and We'll talk to you again soon. Bye. Absolutely.
2: Take care. <laughs> I you don't know, my, you know my.